vegan basically kind of did the same thing with us he was like uh is it gonna be in armenian or in english and then we were like oh it's gonna be in Armenian." he goes oh it's in armenian like he he kind of like <laughs> he fro- froze for a second as well we're like no, no, no it's, it's it's in english who else who else did we mess with with the same where we did the same thing we said it was uh they felt comfortable in english and then we said we were gonna do it in armenian they freaked out there was somebody else i forgot who it was i'm sure we've uh Busted people chops many times before. Alrighty. I was on my uh, I was on the Pan Armenian channel today, and it was like deep Armenian, and I was struggling, man. I was like, oh, I'm not sure. Well, if I... You you grew up here, right? Yeah. Okay, so I mean, I you can't even be blamed for it. We're live, right? We're good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you you grew up here. Yeah. And I uh, see you can't be blamed for it. What did you guys speak at home? Armenian, growing up, and then I probably picked up english when i was like three four so like the video is really funny because when i was a kid my english was extremely foreign sounding you know i could barely understand myself like can we go there and do that (laughs) (laughs) and then med school completely changed it around yeah i mean you gotta you gotta adapt your like to your surroundings you know (laughs) i know it's it's uh, culturally then everything as far as in the beginning of uh, you know, with our people, it's like we speak Armenian. Armenian is perfect. English is terrible, and then it it becomes the opposite <laughs> later. But anyways, as, as some parents say, uh, uh, they say, "Hi, uh, more There you go. Exactly. Uh, happy Tuesday, guys. Um, we have a last minute uh, yeah. show uh, with Doctor Sean Shivanyan. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for taking time out of your Tuesday to join us today. <laughs> no worries. Uh, first podcast? Yeah. Nice. Uh, doctor Shirvanian is a uh, he's a doctor at Glendale Adventist. You specialize in? In uh, pulmonary and critical care medicine. Okay. Which basically deals with respiratory. Yeah. So I deal with basically any lung disease and I take care of patients full time in the intensive care unit. Where all the sickest patients in the hospital go. Okay, I see you basically. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Before we get into um, the topic of, I'd say, 2020, not even March, but maybe for the next decade or even century. Yeah. Depending uh, on how it pans out. Yeah. Let's 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 take a little uh, let's take a little couple steps back and just find out a little bit about you. You know where you went to school. why you went into you know the respiratory side of you know being a doctor and then we'll jump into the whole virus itself so you know tell us a little about you yeah born and raised in the valley um went to agbu for (laughs) for uh, preschool middle school high school i went to el camino and then college i went to uc riverside initially i wanted to be a a researcher for agriculture so i was doing like citrus research for the usda and oh. then I decided I wanted to be a doctor because my mentor said, don't be a researcher. You're not going to be happy. And I said, all right. So I went to med school to Ross University. It's an international medical school. And from there, I went and did my internal medicine residency in Santa Barbara at Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital. I was a chief resident there also. And I had this doctor there, Dr. Freed, who I still know and talk to. And he's one of the most amazing critical care doctors that I've worked with. So I, at that point, I knew I had to do critical care because what I was learning from him and seeing and how he was turning patients around was, was so encouraging that I just, I admired him so much. So 
I ended up doing some extra research work and applied to Cedar sinai and got in to do my pulmonary and critical care training at Cedars. And about three years ago, um, at a fellowship, I um, came to Glendale and I started doing full-time critical care um, where I still practice in the ICU. So I'm employed through Loma Linda University and I'm an assistant professor of medicine with them, but I work full-time at Adventist Glendale. And about a year ago, I started a private practice for lung issues with my colleague, Dr. Ari Nabulian. Wow. Very nice. But to be a critical care doctor, you don't have to be a pulmonologist, right? Correct. So you can go into critical care either from internal medicine, you can go in from anesthesiology, you can go in from surgery, and emergency medicine as well. So there's a lot of ways to get into it. And overall, everybody kind of has the same general philosophy, but you find that like certain specialties that go into critical care have like kind of like their own attributes right it's kind of like a, like a basketball team mm-hmm. right yeah, you got yeah. like a guard you got yeah. so when you work together it's 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 a lot of fun yeah. it's really nice yeah, you kind of mesh well together everybody kind of you know helps each other out tag team kind of thing yeah okay I mean, is there a reason other other reasons why you went into you know pulmonology because uh, for example there's i've known doctors where uh, something happened in the family as far as like, for example, a cardiologist where it was like, oh, you know what? We had a, we've had a history of heart issues with the family. We wanted to get into cardiology. Uh, there's some other families where, oh, you know, everybody's a plastic surgeon. Oh, we decided to go, you know, into plastic surgery. Anything like that kind of make you want to go into pulmonology or it was just kind of like, you know what? This is, this is the field I want to get into. Yeah, it just interested me. I think diseases of the lung are so esoteric and many of them are so rare. People have never heard of them, but I see them every day. So I think I can identify a lot of unique problems in people that would be missed for, you know, hey, I just can't breathe well. So it's really rewarding to be able to take somebody who can't breathe and hopefully figure out a way to make them breathe comfortably again because having shortness of breath is, is an awful, awful sensation and trying Absolutely. to, trying to get that going is, is really nice. How many cases of like people do you get in where they have shortness of breath and then you diagnose them? It, it ends up being like anxiety or just kind of, you know, panic attacks. Yeah. I mean, that happens sometimes, but it's important to make sure there's nothing else going on because if you go straight and say it's anxiety or, you know, they're having panic attacks, you may miss something. <clears throat> many people, um, can have anxiety because they have trouble breathing. Because once again, having shortness of breath is so is so awful. And as some people know, when people have trouble breathing at the end of their life, it's so important to manage that mm-hmm. because it's truly an awful thing to feel. Yeah. Well, you know, this whole pandemic going on with the coronavirus is a respiratory virus, correct? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean... As far as symptoms are concerned, because here's the thing, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories online, and uh, I don't know, are you on any sort of social media as far as Facebook or Instagram or any of that? Yeah, in- Instagram. Okay, sure. so it's, I don't think Instagram as much as as Facebook, but Facebook right now, everybody's a doctor. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a doctor. Everybody's posting stories and stats and all. But f- just hearing it from you. What is it exactly as far as the coronavirus? Have you guys uh, actually kind of done studies on it to see what it is exactly and what the, um, you know, what people are actually feeling? What are the diagnoses? Anything like that? Yeah. So the trouble with coronavirus is it mimics really common things such as flu 
and other viral pneumonias. So the virus, we think it originated from this Wuhan region in China, and it may have come from a bat um, and this animal called a pangolin, which is a mix between an anteater and an armadillo. And it, the virus may have originated there, and it's spreading. So prior to this year, coronavirus was a known thing. There's six other strains of coronavirus that is out there. But this one is unique because even though it presents like a flu, um, the current consensus is it tends to be more aggressive, right? And it's more aggressive in people who have risk factors such as heart disease, diabetes, cancers, lung diseases, COPD, asthma, for example. But equally importantly, people who are older, right? So you have somebody who's 70 years old and doesn't really have a lot of medical issues and gets this virus, and their chance of dying is extremely high. At least that's what we understand so far. In comparison to flu, the flu season this year was really bad, really, really bad. There's been many, many tens of thousands of deaths from flu just this year. Do right? you, do you, is there an actual <clears throat> number out yet? or? Yeah, I mean, it's already over 40,000. Right? 40,000, yeah, that's from the I'll, flu. Well, they they estimate between forty to fifty million affected. No, they don't this, have an exact number. This is is this worldwide? No, or nationwide? No, the United States. That's this is between wow. October of last year till March of this year. So yeah. within a matter of uh, five months, forty thousand. That's from the flu. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people succumb to flu, and it's an it's a horrible thing to see because what happens to people when they die of flu is is very hard to watch. And the virus, coronavirus, it, it can look just like that. So common things is fevers, chills, body aches, you know, cough, and shortness of breath, right? That's basically every lung infection under the sun does that, right? So it's impossible to have somebody right now come in and you say, oh, this is definitely coronavirus or this is definitely not coronavirus. And the trouble is many of these other viruses still exist, right? We still diagnose people with influenza, which is a flu virus. There's an A and B strain. We're seeing more A now. It was B in the beginning, which is less aggressive, and A is more aggressive. But there are other viruses that can mimic this as well, such as RSV, which is respiratory syncytial virus. Mm -hmm. And there's another one called human metanumovirus. There's parainfluenza. And I'm still identifying patients that have these. Right. So just because somebody's sick doesn't mean they have coronavirus. But what makes healthcare providers and obviously the world really uneasy is if it is a coronavirus and what we're anticipating is we're gonna see more and more, it may act more aggressively in these people with these risk factors that we just talked about. The the one thing I noticed was people were posting uh, a photo online and do you have any do you have any Clorox wipes or on the Clorox wipes, on the back, and Clorox is a disinfectant wipe, it said human coronavirus. Basically, disinfects and kills human coronavirus. What is the difference between that? Because, mind you, these wipes were created prior to this whole you know, pandemic. What is the human coronavirus compared to this coronavirus out now? Uh, I mean, there has been coronavirus in the past, right? There, I mean, coronavirus has been around. So this is a new coronavirus that we've never seen before. That's why they call it the novel or new coronavirus. Of, so of what's the COVID-19 then? That's so what it's... COVID-19 stands for Coronavirus Disease 2019. Uh, so it's somebody who has coronavirus 
and actually has symptoms or problems due to the new coronavirus and COVID coronavirus. Yeah. Oh, because see, that's the thing on social media. When you see these posts on images of Lysol that says coronavirus, the way they present it is like, well, the coronavirus uh, was man-made because if it wasn't, then why, why is it on all these different types of uh, sanitary items? Whereas now you're saying that the coronavirus has existed, except yeah. this is a new uh, strand or new, uh, new mutated, basically, mm-hmm. uh, virus that's... But, but why is that... I, I mean, look, I've, 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 been, I've lived here for 30-plus years. I've never seen this type of reaction. The last time I saw anything close to it was probably Y2K, <laughs> where... It, it it truly felt like the world was coming to an end and yeah. people were just going crazy, taking money out of the bank accounts. And uh, I mean, you would go to, I remember walking into the main post office in Glendale, there was a countdown on the right behind the main counter mm-hmm. and it was counting down the days, hours, minutes and seconds to Y2K. So anytime you would walk in there, you, you seriously felt like once that hits zero, somebody's just going to put it, you know, throw out a nuclear the, bomb. The asteroid's going to hit. Yeah. So why, why is, how did this become, how did it escalate to the point where we, we literally have martial law, where uh, we have curfews, stores are being shut down, businesses are shut down, our, our lives are pretty much flipped upside down. Why is this virus so different than the influenza, which is killing millions of people, and yet this has the whole world pretty much flipped up, upside down? Yeah, I think a couple things. One thing is in 2008, there was an influenza pandemic, the um, H1N1. You may have heard of this. A lot of people had trouble from this. And I think we're becoming more progressive as humans and we're becoming more developed. There is more communication nowadays than there was even in 2008. But I think the reaction right now is, is a good thing. But I think what the concerning thing is is the current um, understood mortality rate, meaning the current number of people that are dying from coronavirus as a ratio, right, as a percentage of the total people with coronavirus or COVID-19 is high. So if the flu flu is like 0.5%, like this is 3.5%, right? of people that can die. And that's huge, right? If you have 100 people in the room and you're like, maybe one of you is going to die, whereas, you know, four of you is going to die, things get scary. And the other issue is it's not like we're seeing the cases happen once in a while. You're getting a a huge influx of these cases at one time. Like in Italy, um, they had a village, you know, or a town with hundreds of people sick at the same time that needed hospitalization. And basically what it does is it completely um, depletes your resources. Right. Right? So it's kind of like, it's like musical chairs, right? You have everybody fighting for the same chair, but mm-hmm. you, ha- you have a limited number of spots. And I think even though this seems very surreal, where we're having everybody on, on essentially home <laughs> lockdown, it's a, a very responsible thing to do because we know that it's out there and the whole purpose of doing that is to prevent the spread further. Because I know working in the hospital, if the emergency room calls me about one sick patient, 
I'll be okay. If they call me about 10 sick patients at the same time, this is where we run into trouble, right? There's a finite number of resources as physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, you know, laboratory people, you know, even um, like the environmental services in the hospital to keep things sanitary. Um, it taxes the system big time, right. right? So if I have 10 people who require critical care, and if you want, I can describe exactly what a sick patient looks like and what they need, um, it's concerning because you have to be in many places at once. You may run out of resources for people if that number increases exponentially on a day-by-day <laughs> basis. And that's, I think, what we're trying to avoid. And the question is, are we going to be able to avoid that or not? Uh, at this point, all we can do is model our problems that may occur based on other countries, right? China went through a, a, a crisis. You know, Italy went through crisis, Iran, South Korea. And at this point, um, we're beyond the point of containment. Containment in a pandemic is when you can control and isolate the problem to another country. It's already here. And we know that because we've tested many people positive in Los Angeles County that's been released. We need to mitigate at this point. Mitigation is kind of like damage control, right? It's like, a, it's like a wildfire out of control, and we have to be able to contain it. So if we let the fire spread, then we already know what that looks like, right? I mean, Australia is, is one example. The whole entire place was in trouble. Which which model has been the most effective? From from what I see, it's been South Korea. But I I mean, you're the expert. Which one has truly been able to kind of nip this in the bud and not allow to uh, spread as much as it has, let's say, in Italy or Australia or other countries? I agree. I think South Korea's done a good job. Right? They've essentially kept people at home. One thing that I think is very nice that South Korea has done is they've had um, drive-by testing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can stay at home, call in, you're like, I don't feel good, or I, you know, I want to get tested. They come to your house, you test positive, and they're like, you stay put. You're not going anywhere. And that's, I think, really advantageous. Right now, there could be a lot of people with very mild symptoms who may be positive, but they're like, nah, I'm good. You know, I don't want to get tested right now, or I can't get tested right now. Or they're asymptomatic, right? Or they are exactly they're asymptomatic. They may not. I mean, yeah. It's okay. They may you may not demonstrate any symptoms at all, but they might shed the virus, right? Like Idris Elba, right now he came out. Uh, the Game of Thrones actor came out. I forgot his name. Sorry, but many celebrities are coming out saying, "Hey, like I feel good." You know, Tom Hanks, he he had it. Him and his wife, and they probably weren't deathly ill from it, but they right. can go and spread it. Yeah, I know they were cleared now. Yeah, as they're, of, they're as out. Of, yeah, today they're out. But uh, the, the crazy thing is, is there's been a total of, let me tell you exactly what the numbers are right now. For LA County? Or? For the United States. Ah, it's 4,200 um, cases. And as of right now, there's 65 deaths. Yeah. So numbers-wise, I mean, is that something to actually panic about with that many cases and that many deaths? Whereas, we, you know, you, you mentioned the flu, and you're looking at what? You said how many thousand? Uh, about 40,000 40, plus 40, of 40,000. Yeah. 40, with it from October to Till March. Now. Yeah, flu season. So, but in order for it to be a pandemic, isn't there... Sorry, 
you want us to, we forgot to offer you water in the beginning. We just got so oh, caught yeah. up you want, with you the, want water or anything like that? <laughs> we got so caught up with the conversation. Water? We temperature <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, oxygen concentrator. Um, so in order for what, the threshold for my understanding for a pandemic is about 7.3%, which means the number affected 7.3% have to die from my understanding in order for it to become a pandemic, right? Um, it depends. I mean, the World Health, dude, thank you so much. Of course. The WHO basically calls it a pandemic if you have a virus that isn't contained or a disease that's not contained, then it spreads to other countries. Once it starts spreading to other countries, that's when you start uh, assigning the title pandemic. Doesn't matter the deaths versus number infected. Yeah, I don't think, no. I, 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 I don't know uh, if it does, but from what I've read and understood, I haven't seen a percentage of death be the def defining factor. Because CDC, that's how I've seen them define flu and pneumonia, uh, is when, it, when they actually label it pandemic, it has to be at that percentage level. Right. But, well, so... By isolating ourselves for two weeks, uh, how is that preventing the disease from spreading? Because is it only spread through contact or is it spread through the air? Through how, how are we preventing it from, how are we containing it by isolating? So the 14 days is based on our knowledge of prior bad coronavirus and our understanding is we've known that there's been a bad coronavirus in the past. And when they studied human beings that had that coronavirus, they, they learned that the virus would shed for maximum 14 days. So what they're doing is they're using that number and they're essentially estimating, okay, well, 14 days should be okay. There's a lot of problems with trying to decide a number. I mean, if you said six months, then we'll never have an economy again, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's a scientific number based upon old bad coronavirus, and they've seen that it only goes for about 14 days. How is it spread? That's a great question. And I think that's up for a lot of debate. And I think it's really conditional, right? So let's say you have somebody who's asymptomatic. They're mm -hmm. not coughing. They're not sneezing. Um, they're still shedding the virus. So if they touch their mucous membranes, like their mouth or their nose, you know, it can even be found in feces, bodily fluids. Um, if that touches a surface, it can stay there for a while. And if somebody else comes and touches that surface, they then touch their eyes or, you know, mouth and, mm -hmm. and pick their nose, which is a lot of fun, but you, know, you really shouldn't <laughs> be doing that right now. Um, then they could potentially run into trouble with inoculating the virus into that mucous membrane. And once again, one problem with coronavirus is it's it's virulent, meaning it hangs on and it attaches itself to your body and replicates quickly. So if somebody's coughing, mm -hmm. right, then you have a bigger problem. If they're sneezing, then you're having a bigger problem because now you're projecting droplets is what we call uh, um, into the environment. And then all that lands on places. It can land on people and you spread it that way. Um, that's called droplet but the droplets landing on a surface or on, let's say, some somebody's skin, mm -hmm. 
there's not because that droplet has a lifespan. It does, right? Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna catch the virus unless it's actually inhaled into the respiratory system. Right. So you either inhale it, or mm-hmm. let's say you rub your eyes. Right. Yeah. It, so that's <clears throat> a, a non-respiratory method mm-hmm. of inoculation, or if you your nose or your mouth. Yeah. So all that counts. And you're, you're right. If you inhale the droplet. Um, you, it goes into your lungs and boom, you know, it's, you're, you, you may get it. Um, there is another type of transmission. And so droplet is basically you have the virus literally in droplets that you sneeze or cough. Airborne is another type of transmission. And this is an area of debate. Is the virus actually airborne? So an airborne transmission, one very common uh, disease where you have an airborne, um, um, uh, sorry, uh, pathogen. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You kind of you kind of gave me the answer <laughs> mentally. <laughs> <laughs> Is uh, tuberculosis, right? Yeah, TB. Yeah, I'm TB, sure it's yeah. in Armenia. It's in Iran. It's in developed nations. You know, China. And tuberculosis is spread via airborne, meaning when you cough or you sneeze with tuberculosis, it literally floats around in the air, right? So you're walking around the room and breathing, and it doesn't matter if it's on the surface. It's like literally in the air, and you just smell it in. It's like if you spray cologne and you can smell it, Same it lingers. Yeah, like that's like tuberculosis. Uh, tuberculosis if you're exposed to it one time, you may not get it, meaning it doesn't stick and infect as quickly as viruses do, right? Viruses are are, are smaller and they're a little bit better at getting in, into your body. Um, so is it airborne for sure? We can't say that it is right now, but in some scenarios, we assume that it may become airborne, Right. What I mean by that, I want to be very careful with how I say this, is patients that are in the hospital. So if you have somebody in the hospital and if they're getting certain treatments, right? So have you guys ever heard of like a nebulizer? Mm-hmm. Of course. A nebulizer so. is kind of like it's, it's a medication. Breathing for, treatment. Exactly, like yeah. a breathing treatment. You know, people with asthma, COPD, yeah. use this. If you're getting a nebulizer treatment, then you aerosolize. The, the your spit or you know your droplets that are in your lungs and that might make the virus airborne for a short period of time right because the nebulizing um, medication actually it literally just floats around in the room it looks like a mist and it stays mm-hmm. there for a while other things would be maybe a humidifier so you're referring to the we're talking about the coronavirus. If you're yeah. nebulizing and you're affected by the coronavirus, you could be spreading it via air because of the mist of the nebulizer. You could be. We don't know that with 100% certainty, but in the hospital, if you're using nebulizers, then we take airborne precautions, right? Other instances where we may see the virus go airborne is if, it's, if somebody's uh, having a breathing tube put in. Right. Um, we can talk about that more intubation. Right. Yeah. This is a life support uh, mm-hmm. modality for patients who have a lot of trouble breathing or getting oxygen. in. Um, then you may actually aerosolize the virus. Um, other things would be if you're getting like deep, deep, deep suctioning. Right. Like if you have like a like a loogie that's like deep in your lungs and you have to stick a little catheter to suck it out, that may aerosolize. Right. right? What about a humidifier? 
a humidifier shouldn't really make a difference because it's not going directly into you, right? The humidifier is just humidifying the room. I so I don't really think that is <clears throat> going to be a big problem. But um, one of the problems, I don't think, I don't think this is going to be a major issue for like somebody just walking around asymptomatic. But somebody who's in the hospital, and this is one thing that a lot of hospitals are doing, including Adventist Health, and I think they're doing it pretty good, is or pretty well, is to take precautions depending on the patient and what they're getting and, and what procedures they're getting and what degree of life support that they're on. Right. Because certain patients need more like you've seen like the outbreak kind of suits and whatnot. You know, we actually use those in certain scenarios to take precautions. We still don't know with 100% certainty what's what scenario is going to do what in terms of spreadability within the hospital, but we're taking the maximal precautions that we can based upon resources that are available. So one issue is in other in other countries and people who are hit by the virus earlier is they didn't know what this was. So if you don't know what this is, and you take zero precautions, not because you did something wrong, but because you just didn't know what it was yet. Imagine you're in a hospital where you have 200 sick people. You have doctors, nurses who this virus sticks on, and you go around and spread it. And two weeks later, boom, you know, like you have you have issues. Yeah. You have big issues. And I think fortunately right now, um, I, I, I don't, condone panic i don't think that's what we should do i think we should be ready you know we should understand that it's a problem and respect it and as Mm -hmm. long as we do that then we can continue to mitigate or reduce the the risk of this lingering and and taxing the economy the healthcare system for a long period of time Uh, a lot of people have been mentioning uh, you know through again the news the social media um the media itself as well uh, the fact that it's it's on money, it's on items coming in from China, it's on boxes, it's at Home Depot, it's at Walmart, it's ev- it's basically everywhere and anywhere. And you know, people are walking around with masks, people are walking around with gloves, people are walking around with gowns. I mean, is it that big of a uh, a risk that you know what you you could be out and about in public and catch it through anything? I mean, it can be on surfaces. Um, whether uh, Armand mentioned the whole lifespan. I mean, okay, let's say, for example, Joe Schmo does have the coronavirus, mm-hmm. and he's out in public, and he sneezes, and it lands on a surface. What is the life expectancy of that virus on that surface? I mean, have you guys figured that out yet? That's a really good question. And actually, there was an article that came out, I think, today or yesterday in one of the, the most respected journals called the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh-huh. And they compared different surfaces to lifespan. So copper, they compared cardboard, plastic, and stainless steel. So copper, the virus survived on copper for the least amount of time. I think it was four hours. Like You can even pull this up. We can read it right now. Really? But um, the next up was cardboard, which is, I think, about eight hours. And then you have stainless steel, and which was longer. And then plastic, I think it was about 24 hours or so. So if this is kind of why we're doing isolation, right? Because, yeah, I mean, the stuff can be all over the place. So you want to limit your exposure as much as you can. That's why we're not going into <clears throat> movie theaters. Restaurants are not open. I mean, this is... 
it's pretty it's pretty intense what's happening but it's for this exact reason because yeah it can it can live on surfaces um it can be spread person to person and the more we understand about this the more we can give more specific recommendations but right now that's the whole purpose of what's going on in this country you know we don't want crowded areas we don't want people up in each other's faces at a club uh, we want people at home as much as they can be and only to leave their home uh, during the need of something essential, right? Yeah. Going to the grocery store, buying something. Masks in public hasn't it's currently been an accepted... <laughs> right. It currently is not an accepted way to to protect yourself. Cause a I'm, lot of people do it, but it's probably not going to make the difference. And the reason is because we just kind of talked about how this thing is spread, Right. You have a mask over your face. A lot of people reuse the masks, right? And if you reuse the mask, you may have the virus on the mask and in the mask. So then you're taking the mask off and putting it on, and the virus may be on there already, and you're putting it straight into your body. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, it may go into your eyes, right? (laughs) You're not protecting your eyes with the mask. Um, and it may be on other surfaces on your on your person as well that you can touch and then put into your body. From my understanding is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, doctor, but um, the mask itself, it's made for if, for example, if I were sick, I would wear a mask so the people around me wouldn't get sick. Or is it vice versa? Is it for me to protect myself? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if you're sick, uh, having a mask on is reasonable. It, the, but that's the purpose of the mask, right? It's not for you to not catch it. It's dual. It's is a it dual, dual purpose, but having it used properly is important, right? So in the hospital, if I have somebody who I'm suspecting to have coronavirus, I put on a face shield. I put on a special type of a mask. I put on a gown, and I put on gloves. And, of course, you want to wash your hands before you're doing all this. And then I go in the room, and then before I leave the room, I take all the stuff off, throw it in the trash. Wow. And then I wash my hands. The N95 masks you throw in the trash. So if so, <laughs> more and more we're starting to reuse the N95 if it's for the same patient. Uh, but if it's for another patient, then you're, you got the virus yeah. on there and you're just taking it to your other patient. And this is why we're so concerned is because N95 masks are not... Uh, supplied in the world as much as they should be in a pandemic because we didn't know a pandemic was happening, right? So if you are using a 95 mask over and over and you're having a lot of sick patients over and over, then it produces a strain. And I think uh, think China is donating a ton of supplies, NI5 masks to our country right now. Half a million or a million? Yeah. yeah. Now, when when you're testing for the coronavirus, are you looking at the protein, or what exactly are you looking at? Yeah. And, and is it a uh, oral test or blood? or? So there are different tests available. So there is such a thing as a blood test, but it's not really um, needed right now. And the reason is because the virus is easily identified with certain swabs. And currently the Los Angeles Department of Public Health, when you call them and they approve testing, you get a couple samples. One's an, a nasopharyngeal sample, which is you get basically a swab. And the testing kit isn't anything special. It's just viral media, or it's a viral culture, um, basically, test tube that we use every single day. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a special 
right. thing that you need. But basically, um, you send a couple samples. You get a swab. It looks like a long Q-tip. You shove it up your nose as much as you can until it makes you irritated. And you get another sample from the back of the throat. That's mm-hmm. called an oropharyngeal and a nasopharyngeal for the nose. And basically, you send that to the lab. To CDC or to the lab? So there's different uh, testing sites. So the Los Angeles Department of Public Health is uh, the major one, at least in the area. So there's 18, I think, labs for, uh, that work with the California Department of Public Health. Um, other labs that are starting or, or have been testing is Quest Diagnostics mm-hmm. and LabCorp. But what one issue is how many tests can, can they run a day? And how quickly are you going to get the result? You know, it may take several days to get results. And that's one thing that is also a little bit um, challenging in terms of managing patients with suspected COVID-19 is you want to be able to identify them as soon as possible, right? And the reason is you can have them go back to work, right? You can have them not require special treatments in the hospital or rooms in the hospital. And that's, I think, a big focus right now is testing people appropriately and get and getting results so you can then kind of understand what you're doing. Now, how many suspected cases have you guys got that, at Venice? Because um, uh, on the news, they said that supposedly there's two cases right now going on at Adventist, and both were actually cleared, and they were both negative. Um, I can't talk uh, specifically about cases at Adventist due to healthcare privacy. Okay, that's right. Um, but um, the L.A. County Department... The LA County Department of Public Health was released about 194 cases in Los Angeles, and they've had a couple in Glendale. Um, I can't specifically comment on what we're seeing, but what I can say is um, we are um, properly triaging and uh, sending tests to people who need the testing done. Now, are you, are you seeing them directly first since this is respiratory, or is it just going through from ER to you know, any doctor or NP that's available. Yeah, I mean, uh, the most common way people come into the hospital is through the emergency room. People can't just walk directly into the ICU. They have to get admitted to the hospital, and that usually occurs through the emergency room. Um, Sometimes people come from outside hospitals um, because they may need special services that that other hospitals can provide that they don't. Um, So the emergency room is really the front line for patients who are ill and require hospitalization. And um, one other area of concern is, okay, well, you have a patient who's already in the hospital for a completely unrelated reason, excuse me, and you want to protect them. You don't want them to get it from a visiting family member, for example, um, or, or a staff member. And um, this, is, this is one area of of um, concern that's being handled very aggressively in basically every hospital. So but, right now, uh, you know, visitors, um, no visitors at all in the hospital yeah. unless it's for very specific departments, um, OB, um, uh, hospice, ward. Wow. But, I mean, this is serious, you know, and it's being taken very seriously, and I'm actually very proud of what hospitals are doing. If I had a sick family member, I'd want to be there, but... Um, we have to understand that we need to contain this thing. Now, the average ER has how many beds in the average ICU? Um, average ICU, I mean, depends where you're, where, where you're at, but an average ICU anywhere between 12 to 20 beds, a, a decent 
you know, bigger ICUs have, you know, 30 beds and right. like academic centers have, you know, like 60 to 80 ICU beds. So let's say Adventist Health, if the, the, the trouble that I see here is because the symptoms are so common with your influenza virus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if 100 people walked in today because they're just concerned, well, I have a runny nose, I'm coughing a little bit, I don't mm-hmm. have shortness of breath. But I'm really concerned because I don't want to be in contact with even any of my own family members that I live with. Yeah. I'd rather isolate myself in my bedroom. Let me go get it checked out. So if 100 people walked in, you only have, let's say, 40 ER beds, and the test takes two, two days or even 24 hours to come back, mm-hmm. within two days you've got 200 people waiting on results. Mm-hmm. What's, what, what happens to these 200 people? So some good news. I think testing is going to become faster, and we're going to get that really soon. Um, I'm I'm very optimistic that that's going to happen. The second thing is if you're not that sick, don't go to the hospital, right? So me right now, if I had, you know, fevers, chills, body aches, cough, shortness of breath, don't go to the hospital. Stay at home, right? Somebody who's young, you have a good chance of being okay. If for some reason you can't manage yourself at home, like, for example, if you can't hold down fluids, if your shortness of breath is severe, or if you have comorbidities and you feel awful and you can't manage yourself, then, yeah, go to the hospital. What we don't want is a lot of people who are asymptomatic, Mm -hmm. meaning without symptoms, rushing to the ER to get tested because we just (laughs) it just doesn't make sense. And two... Um, we need to realize that the whole healthcare system in the world is flooded, yeah. right? What's the what's happening in other countries is so clear cut is they just run out of space. So, trying to avoid um, uh, depleting resources is crucial. So, if you don't feel bad bad enough to go to the hospital, I would say don't go. You um, probably just have a cold. You may. Um, you can call your primary doctor, and I think everybody should have a primary doctor. And what I'm hoping is sooner than later, drive-through testing in Los Angeles becomes a reality, and you can get tested at home and find out quickly and know if you can go back to work or not. Um, this isn't a local problem. I, you know, I don't think this is an L.A. problem. This isn't a California problem. This isn't yeah. even a U.S. problem. This is a worldwide problem. In the USA, I mean... Our administration, our presidential administration, is taking it very seriously. So, we should do the same. Now, see, when I, I completely agree with you, if you have the symptoms and you're feeling okay, you shouldn't really go to the ER. But then the the, uh, the other end of the spectrum is you read, you Google search, right? Mm-hmm. It says, well, if you, if you're not certain and you don't take the proper measures, it could lead to pulmonary fibrosis. And so people freak out about that. And is is that true? Is, is that what it could lead to? Or is it just going to go away in two weeks if you don't have any serious other comorbidities or uh, if you're not, your immune is not suppressed, you, you should be fine? Or And even actually one of my NPs today, we were, is it today or yesterday, we were discussing it and she was saying how she read an article about how it scars the lung tissues long-term where 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, it could lead to something else. And I was telling her, look, I think you're reading too much into it, but uh, is there any <laughs> truth to that? Or 
uh, some, and I can talk about that more. Just before I do that, Adventist actually does have a hotline where people can call for questions in terms of what they should do if they have symptoms. Um, I believe it's on their website, and that's been advertised, I believe. Um, we should post that, yeah, on, on the... Uh Right, so call, calling before you go is is very helpful. Uh, phone lines might be a little bit busy, but you know, it's 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 a it's a definite like you can do it. Here, let me refill that for you. Oh wow, thank you. Uh, now the other question that you asked is, um, does COVID nineteen scar your lungs? And there is some truth to that. If you're hanging out at home and you have a fever. You have a cough, and let's say if you have COVID-19, is it going to scar your lungs? No, right? Because you're not sick enough for it to do that. Now, let's say you're on the opposite end of the spectrum, God forbid, if you're really sick. And what happens in viral pneumonias? We see this with flu. We see this with many other viruses that are out there. What happens is you have infection and inflammation of your lungs. And this could be mild, moderate, or severe. And th this is where it becomes difficult to treat. Some people who have the virus, they get a severe pneumonia, meaning they have severe infection of the lung, and that can lead to inflammation. There is a syndrome called ARDS, or Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome, where due to many reasons, in, which includes uh, the body's immune response to a foreign um, pathogen, um, your body starts essentially attacking itself due to inflammation. So it's autoimmune, basically. Kind of. It's kind of, it's more of your immune system trying to fight the virus. Okay. So your white blood cells go where the virus is in your lungs. They, they essentially start a war. And the byproduct is inflammation, right? Because uh, if you imagine a fight will generate heat, of right? Course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that heat will lead to inflammation. So certain people with ARDS, they have obvious evidence on pictures of the lung of damage to the lungs. And that damage uh, initially starts out as acute, meaning as a, short, as a damage that begins early on. And... If that inflammatory response continues for a period of time, sometimes the end result is scarring, and that's called fibrosis, right? But I just described somebody who is extraordinarily ill on a breathing machine with a tube that goes past their vocal cords into their lungs, which is something that I have to do daily. And they're on the ventilator for days upon days. Mm -hmm. And yes, there may be some people who, uh, due to having either very severe form of ARDS or already diseased lungs, they may have difficulty um, with lung fibrosis afterwards. Is somebody with a runny nose and fever going to get lung fibrosis? I would, and, you know, they get better and they don't have to go to the hospital. I would, I would, um, I would assume that to be uh, extraordinarily rare, if not, you know, almost nil. Um, anything's possible in medicine, but somebody who's doing okay and doesn't require hospitalization, I would say I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah. My wife is actually asking, is she saying, is it called white lung? Um, white out of the lung is a term described to des describe when you're looking at a chest x-ray that appears all white and it's called white out of the lung. That's kind of just, um, almost like a, 
lay medical term to describe a very bad looking chest x-ray. As far as the test goes, is the difference between the positive and negative, how accurate is that? Because it, I mean, it, the difficulty here is that it spreads so easily mm-hmm. where, for example, if uh, currently one of my staff calls me, which I've had three of them already where I've had to sit him out, they'll text me, I have a little bit of a runny nose. Yeah. I, I, I tell them you have to sit out. Because my concern is how easily this spreads. Now, a lot of people are asking, well, if I visited my grandma yesterday Mm -hmm. and today I have a cough or I have a little bit of a body ache or whatnot, Mm -hmm. do I need to be concerned that I I may have had it yesterday and I may have transferred it to my grandmother and I should have her maybe be checked out because she is more vulnerable? Or how, at at what point do we, uh, do we, I mean, do we become concerned to actually address it or at what point are we comfortable in knowing that, okay, well, I probably haven't spread it to my grandma or to my parents or, uh, cause those are the vulnerable, that's, those are the most <coughs> vulnerable, right? The 65, 70 plus, mm-hmm. especially if they have, like you said, other comorbidities, mm-hmm. uh, how, how do we kind of go about that? What's your recommendation? I mean, first and foremost, we can't go back in time. Right. And I think a lot of people who worry about what's happened in the past, it's a valid concern, but there's nothing we can do about it. Now, in terms of does somebody who's exposed have to be hospitalized? No. Um, What I'm hoping is testing will become more available. And if you test positive and for sure you expose grandma to COVID, then if they get sick, they should be considered to go to the hospital earlier than not to try and try and see if they need to be watched in the hospital for any worsening. Um, so I think there is definitely um, a valid concern there. But what's done is done. And just because you're exposed once doesn't mean you gave the person the virus. Right. But if you keep on going back, then you may give that person the virus. So... Um, have knowing knowing knowledge is power if you know you have it avoid avoid Stay avoid home, even yeah. right now assume you have it yeah. L- let me ask you this question um and correct me if i'm wrong from what i understand about viruses and bacteria as well um when for example if you have a virus and you're in a public area and you uh, pass the virus on to somebody else mm-hmm. the virus weakens and then when that virus, that virus that I passed on to that other person, when they pass it on to somebody else, it's weakened even more and it's weakened even more. And it's weak, is, it, is that true or is it just the strain is there and it just continues to just multiply? Yeah, no, I think the strain is there. I don't think it weakens as it continues to spread. Um, I'm, not, I'm not aware of that phenomenon in this setting. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah. There, was, there was talks. Here's the thing. There's so many different articles <laughs> and things that you read. It's just yeah. like you're like, okay, what's true? What's not? What's true? And the people are saying, you know what? Oh, it's going to spread so far out that... Was that article specifically to COVID-19 or general? In, all viruses. In general any, viruses. any sort of virus. It was basically mentioning that every time it's passed on, the vi- a weaker form of that virus is passed on, and the stronger one continues to stay in you. And if, I'm like... If that was the case, there would not be epidemics yeah. and pandemics, well, right? Again, there's After so the seventh many... guy, it'd be dead, and then we wouldn't need... Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't need, we wouldn't need do- doctor. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be the same virus, basically. So if... 
if once, let's say one was infected by the COVID-19 and two weeks have passed, it's, does it actually leave the system or is the, does the immune system fight it off and can they get it again a second or third time? Good question. Oh, you guys are asking some really... <laughs> we are the wise nuts, don't forget. Not the <laughs> numb nuts. <laughs> you're, you're lucky our third one is yeah. here. You would have even yeah. bigger questions. <laughs> well, I guess I lucked out. Um, so, yes and no. Um, how do you prove that the virus is out of your system? And this is another debatable question, but what's being done is if somebody tests positive, you wait 14 days and you test them again. If it's negative, then you should be okay. Now, we have to understand that testing is hard to come by. So that's why the 14-day was put into effect. Some people may be good before then. Some less of a chance people will be not good until after 14 days. Um, so, yeah, that's one way to prove it is if you test again. Mm -hmm. uh, realistically, is that going to happen today? Probably not because we still want to test people who we think may have it. Um, the other, uh, I think that's also more important for people who are like going to leave the hospital who are really sick from it. Other question is, if you get it once, can you get it again? Um, sometimes viruses can mutate during the same season. Hmm. We don't have any clear-cut evidence of this right now. Because it's too soon. Right. Yeah. So if the virus does mutate and change its DNA, then potentially. But right now, we don't know. And I would say, hopefully not. Because essentially, this is a mutated coronavirus. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a different form. So. Yeah. It may have taken many years for this mutation to catch on. But um, the question is, can it mutate in a couple months? And that, I would say, probably and hopefully not. Yeah. Now, the stories behind this entire virus and, the, you know, how it was spread. Obviously, it's, it's from animal to human, correct? Mm. Now, is this from animal to human contact or is it from animal to human consumption? Because there's, all, again, these are all stories that are all online and it's coming from China. And then there was articles about the U.S. gave it to China and then China gave it back. So it's an, an, <laughs> it's an animal to human transfer, correct? Yeah. Now, consumption um, or just physically or... That I don't know, and pretty much anything political regarding if this is a deliberate inoculation into the human population. I'm, I, no, I'm, no, no, no. Let's shy away from yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really, it's above our pay grade, I think. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I basically... But it's contact, right? Animal to human contact. Contact and potentially, um, yeah, potentially eating them. But if you eat them, you're going to be in contact with them. You have to prepare them and whatnot, so... That bat needed to be staying on the fire for a little bit longer than <laughs> what they left it on for. Gosh, man. <laughs> Tanya is asking about herd immunity. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming she's referring <coughs> to... Because um, some of the countries, for example, when you look at Africa, mm -hmm. right? 1.3, 1.4 billion population. India, another 1. whatever right. it's at now, like 1.64, whatever it's at. These countries don't have very many infected. Mm. And a couple of theories I've read is because of the weather, because the COVID-19 does not survive in hot, in, in hot weather. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and then you've got the UK, which their method or approach to um, containing this was, well, let us get affected, infected with it, and then mm. we'll be, build immunity to it. Uh, is there any truth to either one of those theories? 
Right now, I would say the most important thing is herd protection. You know, I don't think it's wise to say, let's just infect everybody and see what happens. If we infect everybody, the survival of the fittest will occur and eventually we'll have people who are immune and alive and people who are unfortunate to not survive will not be alive. So once hopefully a vaccination comes out, then I think we should get vaccinated for this, just like we get vaccinated for influenza. Um, the other thing is herd immunity. So if you're infected with a virus, your body starts building antibodies. So antibodies is basically your own defense protection against that same virus for the second time. And there are a couple different types of antibodies. Some that start in the short term, those are the IgM antibodies, and some that start in the long term, those mm -hmm. are IgG antibodies. And in order to obtain the long-term protection, that is going to take longer than a couple weeks, mm. right? right? So the reason why the world is reacting so expediently and shutting everything down today is we don't want to see what happens in two weeks. We're trying to prevent that. What we're trying to do is stop what's going to happen tomorrow, right? So if I become immune to the virus and I can walk around and be good, that's not going to happen tomorrow. That's going to happen in several weeks. We don't have that type of time. It's very precious. If we had a vaccination, which there is not a widespread vaccination available for COVID-19, then, okay, then, yeah, herd immunity is when you have 90% of the people or plus immune to a uh, substance or virus or pathogen, and they're likely not to go spread it, kind of like measles, right? You know, we're vaccinated, and what you saw is people who were not vaccinated to, ve to measles, and measles came back, you know, because we lost that herd immunity because if 99% of people were vaccinated, then they're protecting that 1%. But it doesn't kind of go like, oh, like 20% are immune, they're going to protect the other 80%. So that that's yet to be seen, and I think the uh, the vaccination is going to be the biggest source of herd immunity once that's eventually done. Now, you talk about vaccination. Now, we did mention that uh, one of the pe one of the types of people that actually get this are the elder, and then obviously the sick. Now, if you're sick, I would yeah, go ahead and get the vaccine to avoid it. You're elder, go ahead and get the vaccine. But if you're young teenager 20s 30s 40s even would you recommend getting the vaccine for that yeah it's like flu you know a flu shots recommended every year for everyone essentially especially you know pregnant people and people with comorbidities and that's the thing you know somebody who's young and robust you have the flu you walk around with it and you're chilling you're spreading the virus around because you're not that sick from it and you're interacting with anybody somebody's so sick from the flu they stay home and they're like miserable and essentially isolated because they have no choice. So, yeah, I think when a vaccination comes out for this, which I hope it does, absolutely. That's what herd immunity is, is when you vaccinate everyone to as much as you can. And if 1% don't have access, then they'll have some protection because everybody else is immune and not spreading it that 1%. And what if it mutates again for it, it might, but that's how, you know. It that's what they have. To, then they'll have the corona uh, vaccination every year like the flu shot probably if it yeah. continues to mutate the flu mutates every year too right so by the time it comes in from australia mm -hmm. uh, our flu shot is uh basically it's um 
uh, revamped to to match whatever that virus is going to be that year. See, yeah. yeah, that's the one thing that always confused me about the flu shot was, okay, it's a vaccine, so you can prevent getting the flu, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if they don't know what what the mutation has been for the flu yet, how do they have a vaccine for it? They guess based off of what a scientific uh, prediction models show. And it's not always right. This year, actually, it was not bad. And even with it being not bad, we still saw a lot of people suffer, which just goes to show what the flu can do if there are no such thing as vaccines. Now, would you... Again, we mentioned numbers about the flu this year. From October to March, 60,000 people have died from the flu. Uh, over 40. 40 Four, I'm sorry. Yeah. 40, over 40,000 people have died from the flu from October to March. And we've had 58 people with the coronavirus. Now... Is the coronavirus as deadly as people are making it seem, or is the flu still deadlier? Because a lot of doctors have come out and they've said, you know, Dr. Drew being one of them, Dr. Oz another one, they said, you're more likely to get die from the flu than you are the coronavirus. We're, what we're talking about is, is sheer numbers. And one problem that I have with the current numbers is how many people have been tested versus how many people have not been tested. But if we were all to be tested, the numbers would be far lower, though. Or that they might be higher because there might be people that have been dying who still haven't been tested. And I don't know that. And that's what I really want to wait for. Now, the, the reason why we're so concerned is the abrupt mortality. You're seeing hundreds of people dying in a small area in a very short period of time from each other. Right with flu, it tends to spread out over several months. With coronavirus, it like it goes to a place, it starts, and you just start seeing people suffer in a really short period of time. And that's what's that I think is what makes it really scary, because it's a vicious cycle. Right, if you deplete the hospital resources, if you can't take care of people, and you have a lot of people that are really sick at the same time, then you're going to run into trouble. But see, okay, the mortality as far as uh, for the for the flu, yeah. It doesn't discriminate as far as age, race, or anything, right? With the flu. Depends. I mean, certain years, um, like with the H1N1 pandemic in 2008, it tended to target younger people who had more weight on them. So they were were obese. Yeah. So especially um, female. Okay. So 61 million roughly affected. With H1N1? Yeah. yeah. See, uh, the the only reason why I say it is because, okay... The coronavirus, like like we said, elderly and then the people who are already you know terminally ill. That's or or they're terminal, not terminally, but like their immune system chronically ill, chronically ill, just age, but just age also. So it's not even it's not even chronically ill. It's or so age. So somebody sixty five and older is going to have a higher Higher chance chance of death. And right now, with the numbers that are quoted, if you want to speak like kind of like in in more numbers, you know if. Coronavirus is four percent deadly. If flu is 05 percent deadly, then that's what eight times yeah. deadlier. You know, that's kind of what people are equating it to. But I mean, it's it's it, it's, it's, it's targeting too, a certain age group. That's what. But it's, it's too premature. That's the thing. Age group and and or problems. You know, and if you're having most people, so basically um, the people who are at risk. Um, 80% do okay, but out of the people at risk, you have um, 20% at chance of death. 
So then you're having one out of five people who are of high age or have these comorbidities who get the flu virus that die from it. But when you have a young and healthy person, the number is, more, is, is lower. It's like a 0.2% of dying. So don't you think a better comparison would be, for example, you take two 80-year-olds, mm-hmm. uh, similar diagnosis, comorbidities, whatever else they have. Um, one of them is has the COVID-19, mm-hmm. the other one has influenza. Yeah, I, I think one? COVID-19 it has a much higher chance of killing, of that, killing person. that person. Uh, as far as... Uh, even 65. Even so 65. even beginning at the age of wow. 65. How many of us have 65-year-old family members who are completely functional? Oh, a lot of us. Right? So if they get the flu, their chance of death as a per- percentage of infected is not going to be as high... Uh, I'm sorry, is going to be much higher than flu. So that's scary. When it comes to... Uh, for example, they're saying how kids are not really affected by it. Now, as far as I know, kids don't really have a strong immune system. How is it that kids are not affected by this? I would say kids have a very strong immune system. And basically, they keep on getting sick, right? So kids get sick all the time. I'm sure everybody who has parents would agree. Um, they tend to fight these things a little bit more effectively, and they build an immunity more effectively. A lot of that starts with the breast milk that they get. They start. They get all the antibodies from the mom, yeah. um, from breast milk. But kids and younger people with COVID-19, fortunately, we're not seeing them uh, lose their lives as often. But they may still have the virus. So when you have a kid who's two years old and is coughing and sneezing and touching everything and you have burgers dripping all over the place and you have to clean it up, um, then I think they could potentially spread, spread things more. So you have to be extra careful. So as of right now, mm-hmm. I'm looking at the live stats. It's 190, call it 200,000 cases. 82,000 have recovered and 7,900 deaths. That we know of. That Worldwide. We, that we know of. Basically, these are all reported. I mean... But, you but, you look at these numbers. It's it's not like we said. October to March, forty thousand plus deaths mm-hmm. with the flu. Yeah, and this is nationwide, mm-hmm. U.S. only. Worldwide, you have eight thousand deaths and eighty two thousand have recovered. More people have recovered than died from the flu. Well, yeah, but see again, not if you ask me, I don't think any of those numbers are accurate. For example, then what, what my, else would you go based off of then? Because in my line of work, and I don't know if you've experienced this at the hospital, but when when it's flu season, our admissions skyrocket. Why? Because a lot of seniors go to the hospital during flu season. Mm-hmm. Now they end up in the hospital. All of a sudden, they're like, "Oh, you know, we found a lump here. We found a bump here. We found something here," and then we get called in to take them home for palliative care. Right. So now, when that individual passes away sometimes in weeks sometimes in months where do they fall under those stats did they die because of the flu or because they had underlying causes whether it was COPD CHF atherosclerosis what percentage of that would it be though flu season it's a lot of them so that's why to me the stats are they're all subjective then you can't even then you can't even look at these again but I'm not I'm not a scientist I'm not a 
you know, statistic guy. I'm just looking at my own patients, how during the flu season, our admissions skyrocket because a lot of elderly who already have other underlying illnesses end up in the hospital or they prefer to go to the hospital because they feel safe. I always recommend against it. An 80-year-old shouldn't go to the hospital because they're going to usually they're going to come back with something they didn't go in with, you know? I think you're both right. I think you're both absolutely right. Flu kills a lot of people every year, and we shouldn't forget about what's happened just this year. I've had a lot of really, really sick, young, healthy patients from flu get really bad this year, like really bad, yeah. 10 out of 10, critical illness, scary, right? And with the COVID-19, I think one of the scary things is just how quickly it's spreading. It's spreading really quickly country to country. And if we don't do something about it, that number is going to be irrelevant. And you can multiply it by 10,000, 100,000. This thing is just more aggressive. Fortunate, I mean, I think these numbers should be encouraging, but they shouldn't discount what the virus is capable of. It came out of nowhere. It's like a new contender that is rising up the ranks extremely quickly. And I think if we don't take the precautions and if this if you have a large amount of people in the whole country that gets really sick at the same time, you're not going to be able to tend to these people. You know, the flu already taxes the hospital systems every year in a major, major way. So now if we have flu and then you have COVID-19, when are we ever going to catch a break? When are we going to be able to um, not be in flu season? You know, because summer months, is when hospitals aren't as busy and you can recuperate and gather your yeah. resources again. See, what I mean, what confuses me now is, okay, let's say, for example, you know, we talked about somebody who has underlying issues and they're more, you know, they'll, if they catch the coronavirus, the chances of them, them surviving is mm -hmm. less likely, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, so if that person passes away, do they pass away from the underlying issue or do they pass away from the coronavirus? Excellent question. So a lot of people uh, die from us not being able to put oxygen into their blood because the lungs are so damaged and inflamed mm -hmm. that you put 100% oxygen into the lung through a tube that's sealed and you give a lot of pressure, which can increase how much oxygen you put into your bloodstream, and it just doesn't work. If you can't get oxygen into your blood... Your organs, your brain, your lungs, your heart, your kidneys, your liver, they start shutting down. That's called multi-organ organ system failure. And once they all shut down, then your heart shuts down, and no matter what you're giving, you can't support the blood pressure, you can't support the kidneys, you can't support the liver, and you're done. What we fortunately have, we have certain techniques to... Uh, improve how much oxygen we can give to people with very bad pneumonia or ARDS like I was talking about. And there are certain measures that we can take. Um, one thing is proning, where we literally flip the human being upside down while they're on life support. Um, that tends to improve their outcomes. Um, we can support the blood pressure with medications that artificially raise the blood pressure in the ICU. If somebody's kidneys stop working altogether, we can support that with dialysis. In some cases, your hands are tied, and no matter what you're doing, um, you can't keep them alive. In certain cases, there's artificial lung and artificial heart bypass machines called ECMO, or extracorporeal membranous oxygenation, that can be used to do the work of the heart and the lungs for you. 
but this is a very there's a very small number of these um, uh, centers available and um, the other question you had is what else can they die of um, when you have flu for example your risk of heart attack goes up so I'm assuming this is going to be no different. You're going to have people who have heart attacks because the virus causes inflammation. It stresses your body out. So then you have blockages in your uh, blood vessels that go to your heart and your heart stops working. Not much you can do about that. Next is you can get secondary infections, right? So if you have um, influenza, for example, it's very common that after you have influenza virus, you develop a bacterial infection on top of that. So it's like somebody like, beat you down once and you get beat down again you recover you get beat down for the third time and there's only so much the body can do kick you while you're down basically exactly um so we monitor patients in the hospital for new infections for new problems and this can change every day it can change in an eight hour period and many times um, these secondary problems that may occur can be untreatable or they can be bacteria that are resistant, meaning they're, they're not effectively treated with very strong antibiotics we have in the hospital. So the more problems you tack on, each organ system that fails increases your chance of death by 20%. And that's what we're seeing. And if you already have somebody who has very low reserve, then and they won't uh, tolerate this. If you have a car that is kind of like barely lugging along and you like crash it into a wall like it's not going to work yeah but the one thing you know we want to ask you and uh, you know if you could maybe kind of clear the air as well is should this be something where people should continue to panic the way they're panicking right now and go into supermarkets and go into stores <laughs> and hoard everything because it's it's like okay you know what this virus is going to take over. They're going to shut everything down. They're going to turn off our power. They're going to turn off our gas and everything. It's, is it something that serious where, you know, people should be actually going out there and hoarding stuff? Or is it something where our healthcare industry is strong enough and knowledgeable enough where it's something that you guys can take control over it and eventually and hopefully find some sort of vaccine and kind of isolate the situation so no i don't condone any acts of violence any panic running to the grocery store stealing rolls of toilet paper from an an older person Uh, you know we're in the end we're human beings and i think we live in a very civilized country and uh, i think glendale has many many civilized people who can get through this um the drastic actions that are being taken by the country i think are for a good reason Uh, but they're not to encourage people to become violent and unreasonable in terms of what they're doing. Um, I am I, anticipating to see people that are becoming ill from COVID-19 in the next coming weeks. And hospitals are preparing for the same. The government is also doing the same thing. So I think we should have a little bit of foresight and understand that we're all in this together. And every human being, whether you're rich or poor or whatever race or ethnicity, we're all in it together. And I don't think this is the time to try and figure out how you can beat somebody else, but rather how you can help somebody else. Yeah, because I feel like uh, the people actually going out and buying all this stuff and hoarding everything, they're going to be the ones that cause an actual shutdown because they're going to they're panic buying. Yeah, I would I would not condone hoarding. I mean, 
the the toilet paper hoarding to me is doesn't make a lot of sense because I mean I mean, we were talking about it yesterday. The whole uh, people buying toilet paper. It's like there's so many. I mean, it's it's it, look. It's all rumors. I was at the bank today. My bank bank manager says we had a client walk in yesterday. He says uh, I was just at Chase and Chase says Chase is closing down, shutting down. He says there's no way if Chase was closing down, we would have been notified of that too. He says I called Chase. I said, "Are you guys shutting down?" He goes, "No, there's no way we're no, going to shut down." They've been emailing everybody but, saying that, you know what? We're it's unfortunate this virus is going on and we want to make sure that everybody's safe and you're coming into the bank, blah blah blah. There's Right, but if you but if you spread that rumor, guess what happens? People start running to the bank, cashing out money. He goes, "We used to fill the ATMs every Monday. Now we're filling it up every single day because people are cashing out for some reason." And it's because of these rumors, thinking grocery stores are going to shut down, pharmacies are going to shut down. There's no way that any of these things are going to be affected. Because restaurants, you don't, you can live without. You don't need to go to a restaurant, mm-hmm. even though they're still offering delivery. Yeah, takeout delivery. Takeout. Yeah. Uh, but you cannot live without groceries or a pharmacy. That's those two. And, oh, another thing I heard, they're going to shut down the Internet. Really, they're going to shut down the Internet. I mean... Mm-hmm. Can the hospital operate without internet <laughs> nowadays? Um, I think local networks should would be able to help, but I mean, if the internet shuts down, there are backup plans. Paper, I mean, before the internet, hospitals functioned without any computers. And actually, just speaking anecdotally, when I was first training as a resident physician, we didn't have computerized medical records. Right. at the hospital and they got it the year after my productivity went down by more than 50 percent. so if i did all of my work on paper i can see twice as many people in the same amount of time really you yeah. would be more efficient yeah well <laughs> you don't use dictation software or? there we have of... we have everything we have everything you would you would expect at a at a good hospital and it's still it's a little bit slower Really? So if I can just write something down, check, 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 order this, order this, move on. How's your handwriting? Horrible. All right. But good enough, good enough. Is that <laughs> is that a uh, prerequisite to get into medical school? You have to have horrible handwriting? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and and you have to you have to oh, speak God. confidently when you don't know what you're talking about. So. <laughs> I swear. Like it's, every, <laughs> every, it's, it's like a doctor thing, man. Every single doctor. Anytime I've gotten a prescription from a doctor for anything. <laughs> Can't I, read I, it. Yeah, I look at it. And I'm like, what the hell does it say? I give it to my wife. She goes, oh, it's ibuprofen. I'm like, how do you know? She goes, oh, see, this is this is how it's spelled. And this yeah. is how it is. It's they just, could tell yeah. based on the number of letters and, and the, the shapes of it and stuff. <laughs> I think if you've looked at it enough times. Mm-hmm. The squiggles. And, oh, gosh. Um, so it seems like, it seems like we're, we're, we're taking the steps as a nation, mm-hmm. and especially locally, we are taking the steps. The local hospitals mm-hmm. are taking the steps. And I've even heard of some other hospitals where they've taken over, taken over hotels. Yeah. Uh, to prepare for a surge in a spike in, uh, let's say, admissions uh, for potentially uh, COVID-19 cases. So what, aside from just staying indoors and trying to uh, self-isolate, um, in quarantine. a sense, quarantine ourselves, uh, what other precautionary measures should we take as far as like immune boosters or uh, uh, just... The gingers, the garlics, yeah, sta- not 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 frequenting grocery stores or 
what, what are some recommendations, uh, whether it be by you as, as as a physician or by the CDC, that you would recommend uh, to kind of try to control this even more? Yeah, um, a lot of physicians tend to be very like, oh, that's all nonsense, like, don't do it. Um, and other people say, oh, yeah, like, take, like, two parts turmeric and one part this. I'm kind of more in the middle. I don't really like to criticize what my patients are doing in terms of alternative treatments. But what I do condone is understanding that just because something is available over the counter or it's an herb or supplement, it doesn't mean that it may not harm you. If something is even using makes you feel good and you continue to use it and you feel good, okay, use it. But if you're trying something new like an herb, um, talk to your doctor or look it up and see if there's any obvious side effects. A lot of supplements can damage your organs. They can damage your liver, for example, a lot of herbs and spices out there. And other herbs and spices or supplements may interact with medications you're already on because of enzymes that they have that, that, that can metabolize your drugs that you're taking, which can either render them ineffective mm-hmm. or, or, cause to, or cause toxicity. <laughs> yeah. And that's a real thing. And believe it or not, a lot of the medications we take are based on herbs and supplements, but they've been studied. They're given in, in proper dosing, and um, your physician keeps an eye on what it's doing to your body. So if you're trying something new, to try and fight this, whether it's vitamins or herbs or supplements, I can say that there is no scientific proof that, excuse me, that it's going to be effective. Um, But if you do decide to do that, be very careful about what you're doing. Talk to your doctor, look up what it could potentially do to your body. Do you have any type of uh, foresight as far as when do you think we can somewhat go back to our... uh, normal lives as far as work and socializing and all that shopping normally at ralph's <laughs> right <laughs> i think it'll be a trajectory we got we just got to wait and see what happens and if people who are able to stay home and not go out unnecessarily i think that's a good thing and um, what i'm hoping based off of what's happening in china i mean hopefully within a couple months we should have some normalcy but um, that's yet to be seen. I know in China they shut down one hospital already because everybody's kind of, um, you know, recovering from this. Yeah, so, they built temporary hospitals, so the number of new cases has gone down, and they're crazy. testing they everybody. Built temporary hospitals. Yeah, that's thousand bed hospitals. Yeah, not just yeah, no. I know. Yeah. I mean, what are those hospitals going to become eventually? Just import export buildings, or I don't know what they're whatever. even made of, but. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I, I wish everybody across the world the best of luck in, of course, in terms of this, you know. Do you think it'll be something where it'll kind of be like an overnight thing or it'll kind of, our lives will slowly kind of get back to normal and then all of a sudden we'll turn around and be like, holy shit, wait a minute, wasn't there a virus going on a month ago, two months ago? Um, I wasn't allowed, we were able to curse on this show if so i would this would have been way different but um you're not you're allowed to curse just don't curse in our <laughs> okay english you can curse yeah uh, okay next time next, but, uh, next the show's we'll have, not over yet you can still <laughs> curse we'll have, we have we'll have you back for a vaping and, and uh smoking actually episode. Uh, vaping is a huge area of interest and i give talks on vaping all the time 
Um, I have a lot to say about vaping uh, for next time for sure. Um, I was actually, it was interesting. I was supposed His to. His eyes lit up. It was like, whoa, yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So vaping, I've been giving. So we're not going to go to hookah after this? Probably not. And share uh, the pipe? <laughs> no, I've, I've been giving talks on vaping since 2012. And I was supposed to give one at Adventist for the continuing medical education grand rounds. Um, but we, we canceled that and now we're focusing on. This damn coronavirus came in and screwed darn, it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think we've covered it all. I mean, it's look, the, the, the reason why I contacted you today was because we're seeing a lot of truth and a lot of nonsense being posted on the internet the news for, I don't even watch the news because if you watch the news you're going to go after you need to just go you under died bu- last in, week yeah in a bunker and pretty much no 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 you, you died you, last you week you died last week sure yeah. even better yeah uh, that's why we wanted an actual physician who's dealing with this on a day to day basis to come on the show to really give us a inside look of what's going on because uh, you know even if I go into the hospitals for, for my line of work, I don't see what you see yeah. because I'm not dealing with uh, COVID-19 patients or I'm not dealing with ICU patients. You are. Yeah. Uh, same thing with other clinicians. They're not necessarily seeing what you're seeing and what you're experiencing. So that's why we wanted to get kind of an inside look to to put people's mind at ease, to understand that, look, we do have a handle on this. Mm-hmm. which it seems like we do. Um, just be a little bit more patient. Stop touching each other for a few more weeks, maybe a month or so. Don't kiss and hug and, you know, mm-hmm. just stay away from each other for just a little longer. It's You know what's crazy? Nobody wants to shake anybody's hand. I mean, I... <laughs> it's And I, it's kind of awkward Of course, it I'm is. not used to what it. What about for me, man? I mean, uh, I do real estate for a living, so I'm constantly meeting new clients, new people, uh, you know, buyers, sellers. I'm greeting people... And in our industry, it's the shake of a hand. You know, here's the deal. What do, we, do we have a deal? Yes. Do you, what do you think of the property? Blah, blah, blah. So it's it's constant. I have a client walking in. He goes, hi. Elbow to elbow. I'm like, oh, my Why God. even do that? Just go. Well, I think this is the first time where you can flip somebody off, and it's better, it's than, better shaking, than shaking than their shaking hands. Their so hands. take advantage, you know? <laughs> Nobody even wants to fist pump anymore. <laughs> Greg has a question about the... Um, well, actually, he wants us, you to tell us about the Mastomusir va- vaccine. Is that, <laughs> is that developed by India or who developed Iran? Iran? Um, <laughs> Rafi's? <laughs> Rafi. You got to call Armand up? <laughs> uh, Greg Sarkeesian sounds familiar. I think he's actually a yogurt expert. They make some really good yogurt is at Al Bali. Oh, he's from Al Bali. Yeah. Wow. He's a uh, good guy. Narba says, well, oh, your brother Narba. <laughs> uh, can I kiss my wife goodnight or should I hold off on it? What do you think, Doc? I'll support any decision you make. There you go. What a brother. Who's older? You or... Narbez older. Narbez uh, older. Yeah. Anybody, anything else we got here? No, the other questions Don't I kind of... Don't your face. I uh, indirectly asked without okay. mentioning their names that we were going through. But look, I we really appreciate you coming on such short notice. I mean, we texted each other this morning, not even this afternoon, and you're here tonight. So... We didn't want to wait till Monday because our show is usually Monday nights. Oh. We had a show last night uh, with Sevan, a bankruptcy attorney. 
uh, relevant. Really, yeah, really informative show. Exactly. We were talking about how some some people may end up having to file bankruptcy after this, yeah. unfortunately. But he mentioned he said that in this short time span, his website and his Google search has gone from like two hundred to like eight hundred. Wow. In seven hundred two thousand or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, he which is like a forty some percent. It's increase. a huge yeah. increase. It's a huge huge increase. That's so un- that's unfortunate. Yeah, but uh, is there a message that you want to send out to to people out there? Just so, as from from what uh, from a doctor to the people out there, somebody who's seeing this and is dealing with it firsthand. Is there a message that you like to send out to everybody just to kind of put them at ease? Yeah, I mean the precautions are being taken. And listen to your local government, listen to your healthcare authorities, and now isn't the time to panic. This is, I think, going to be a test of what we're ultimately capable of, you know, where you live in one of the best countries in the world. We are prepared. We have yeah. an amazing healthcare system. Every healthcare system has problems, but we have uh, accessibility. This, this is what I tell people. I'm like, God forbid shit hits the fan. Where would you rather be? What other country would you rather be in? There's no questions about it. Right? Yeah. I'm kind of fearful for, um, obviously, in Ar- Armenia, they're getting cases. And uh, I've never, I haven't been to visit or seen the hospitals firsthandedly, but I know many physicians who volunteer their time there, and basic things are short. Correct. And I'm yeah. really concerned about people who have family there or or live there um we are we're lucky to be here we have a selection of very fine hospitals in the area and i'm hoping you don't have to take advantage of any of these but you know i think if you do you're in good hands i think we're in a in a a good place i i would i wouldn't be anywhere else in the world than here especially here in la glendale burbank of course even more so uh these the the larger cities well not the larger cities but the the cities that are inside Los Angeles the Glendales the Burbanks the Pasadenas I tell all my you know my sellers and my buyers all the time I say if you were to call nine one one for an emergency whether it's for police for fire for paramedics if you were to call nine one one in L A I'll guarantee you they'll get there later than they would in Glendale in Burbank in Pasadena. La Crescenta, any of those areas. 100%. That's yeah. what you're paying for. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, for the, it's for the hospitals, it's for the fires, it's for the police. And, um, you know... A doc- big shout out to the first responders. They are on the front lines, yeah. man. They get called, they go to your house, you know, they scoop you and go take you to the ER. Yeah. And these people are miracle workers and they, are, I think, need a lot of appreciation right now. And Sean, big shout out to you too, man. I mean, I posted it on Facebook the other day. Um... Uh, and I forgot to mention Mr. Armand here as well, but I said that, you know what, big shout out to all the doctors. You know, my wife is a nurse. She's an, she's an RN. She's in tele, uh, in telemetry. So, um, and my brother's an RT. Oh, man. So yeah. I'm like, you know what, you guys are out there running around buying toilet paper and all this stuff where I got a wife who's going into a hospital, San Gabriel Valley Medical Center, and yeah. she and my brother's at San Gabriel as well, both of them, and they're facing this head on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit, it's a little bit scary sometimes. Of course, and you have a lot of nurses, RTs, doctors that are at risk for exposure. But you know, protect yourselves. You Absolutely, know? protect yourselves. 
to them as much as you can. And if somebody's sick and dying, I'm going to jump in the room. I may expose myself, but you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. And these, and some of them I'm hearing in areas where it is the um, infected numbers are much higher is they're doing two, three shifts just to make sure everybody's taken care of. When the rest of us, we're technically, we have a curfew. We're home by, what, 8 o'clock now? Yeah. We're playing with ourselves while there's, uh, you know, healthcare professionals out there that are literally away mm-hmm. from their families for days. So definitely a shout-out to everybody. Um, well, I- may God protect you all in terms of, uh, to keep you healthy, to be able to provide and take care of the ill. Unfortunately, there's always going to be ill, but especially w- during these tough times and uh, give you strength and patience to your family so that you can do what you do. Absolutely. You, uh, you guys are literally the backbone of this all. Yeah. This whole pandemic that's going on, you, you guys truly are. All the doctors, all the nurses, RTs, all you guys, we, we thank you all. Absolutely. Anything else you want to stay healthy, stay happy, protect yourselves. Um, don't let it get to you. This, this too shall pass. And then in a couple of months, we'll look back and say, well, what was that Corona? And you'll be drinking the Corona and forgetting about the virus. <laughs> wash, wash your hands. <laughs> yes. Use this, use your hand sanitizers. Uh, you should be doing that anyways. Are you, of course you should. Of course you should wash your hands. Uh, keep your workspace, your house, everything just sanitized. Uh, stop, don't shake people's hands for a little bit. Just kind of uh, keep your distance. And uh, groceries are not shutting down, banks are not shutting down, internet's yeah. not shutting down, pharmacies, hospitals, none of these industries are shutting down. So, and they've, and they, Glendale Water and Power, Burbank, LA, they all said it. They said, do not worry about water and power. Do not worry about trash. Do not worry about fire, paramedics, any of that stuff. Uh, I know uh, LA's mayor actually uh, gave a speech while I was on on my way here. I didn't get a chance to listen to it. I'm going to go back home and listen Donnie, to it as well. Donnie called me on my way here, so he told me everything's fine. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Well, Dr. Sapillian says, hold on, don't end yet. I'm, I'm not sure if he has a question or comment. Doctor? Dr. V. Ken Sapillian, we're holding for you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, there's, there's a 13-second <laughs> delay, so... Is there? There is. I, I, there can't, is. I can't answer any questions about OBGYN. That's up to Dr. Sapillian. Well, no, maybe he may have... A, I don't think it's a... <laughs> he's, he's, he's putting me on the spot again. <laughs> is, <laughs> well, he's, he's actually one of the coolest guys, yeah, coolest yeah. doctors out there. He's well, until, really until he asks this question, let me ask you this. Uh, Keep and, going. And, and, <laughs> Oh, he's he's, he's 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 putting you on the spot. He's putting you on the spot. We're actually going to convert the show to a uh, Armenian now for the next half hour, <laughs> just to put you on the spot. Not again. Oh <laughs> uh, God, do you, Angelique had a good question. Do you want to talk about that one last thing before we call it a day? Sure. Uh, she basically said, "Can you compare the healthcare from some of the European countries, the healthcare in the U.S.?" Or she said, "You can't." Oh, you she can. was making a statement, and I agree with that. That's uh, again not to get into politics, but socialized healthcare versus I think what we have is uh, two different things. Oh, we're pretty good. Don't forget about it. Yeah, we're forget about good. it. She was making um, a statement. <laughs> sorry about that. All right. Well, hold on. Where's what is doctor saying now? There's, <laughs> There's new information uh, regarding pregnancy and COVID nineteen. And I, he, told, I told you. Right? 
And he's uh, at the forefront of all that, dog. The Sapulian is. He's probably referring to if you can transmit the virus. Oh, to is your he fetus. being serious? I thought he. I think. I think ah, so. Okay. I, oh, I'd, li- I'd to, like for him to comment to on the this, fetus, actually. basically. Yeah. yeah. Ah. Okay. Okay. I thought he was. We talked about an attorney poll. We should do a doctor's poll as well. <laughs> Cardiologist, OBGYN, everybody. Just line well, them up. Well, we do have a... Uh, what is it called? Uh, I, I forget these. Inter, inter, what? Interventist cardiologist. What, what are they called? Interventional cardiologist. Inter, in, yeah. Is it interventional? There's another name for it, no? For cardiology? No, no, but it's a specific... Uh, interventional. Is yeah. it interventional? Yeah. Yeah. What is interventional cardiologist compared to regular cardiologist? It's more focused on heart disease, right? Versus, well, they can do certain procedures. Yeah. So if you have a heart attack, they can put in stents, for example, that open up your blood vessels. I see. They do some other procedures nowadays with replacing heart valves with minimally invasive techniques. Oh, okay. um, they can put in certain mechanical support devices, like, um, like a mini artificial heart that's a little motor that mm-hmm. goes... Oh, really? Yeah, they do some really amazing things. We work with them all the time. And fortunately, at Glendale Adventist, we have some really good interventional Dr. Cardiologists. Rafi's going to be on our show. Dr. Rafi's a really yeah, cool guy, yeah. He's going to be on our show next month. Very so nice. we've got a lot of great specialists. And and Dr. V. Ken Sapillian was on the show. And also tune in. He's got he's going to be touch, uh, talking about, I guess, how the COVID-19 is affecting pregnancies. Uh, pregnancies and the fetus tomorrow on his show. So tune in, guys. Yeah. Um, what time is it, Doctor? Yeah, Sipilian, let us know the what time. Channel? What channel? Yeah. We'll give you a nice plug as well. And Telmon's asking uh, his household. There's ten of them plus the mother-in-law. Should she? Should he kick out the mother-in-law? Or yeah, he's asking for a friend. Actually, oh, is he asking for a friend? <laughs> no? No comment. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah, asking for a friend. I, I love those asking for a friend. Right. It's is that like, the new thing? It's the it's new thing. Asking for a friend. <laughs> All right. Uh, for Dr. Stepilian show, 7 p.m. ARTN. Uh, check your local networks, DirecTV, uh, Spectrum, whatever it is that you guys have as far as a provider. And uh, I think ARTN online as well, you can you could watch it yeah. there. And they have a YouTube channel, uh, Shant ARTN. And uh, thank you for the introduction, Dr. Stepilian. Absolutely. Thank Dr. you very, Shivanian. very much for that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Dr. Shivanian, thank you so much for taking time out of your Tuesday to yes. join us. Us. Thanks, uh, I know it's chaotic at the hospital, uh, you know, from the wise nuts and obviously our missing nut as well, Edgar. Uh, we wish you health because, yes. you, like we said, you are one of the front runners at the hospital. And uh, without doctors like you and the nurses and the RTs and all that stuff, uh, we'd all be lost. So uh, much health to you. Good luck in everything that you're doing. Um, find a vaccine as soon as possible, man. I hope so. uh, and uh, keep us posted. Um, you have an Instagram or anything? Do you actually, are you active on that at all? Or yeah, I mean, I have an Instagram for my practice. I'm, I'm on it. It's, okay. It's called do, you, mm-hmm. do you post and do you post updates as far as what's going on with the coronavirus or anything like that? Or not too much, but well, maybe, maybe I should. <laughs> there, there we should. It's uh, it's the uh, the lung doctors, right? Mm-hmm. At the lung doctors on Instagram. Yeah. Um, you know what? Keep us posted on that, man. Okay. I mean, uh, not everybody could text you or call you or email you, but at least you could keep us updated. And hearing it from an actual doctor yeah. would actually make us feel much better than the damn media. Great. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, thank you again, doctor. Thank you guys for the uh, you know for tuning in. I know it's Tuesday. Short notice. Short notice. Thank you for the views. Thank you for the questions. Uh, we will actually see you guys Monday unless Armand calls me tomorrow and says, Hey, Arno. 
I got another specialist. I, I got another specialist coming. <laughs> what are you doing today at five thirty? Uh, take care, guys. Stay safe. Stay clean. Uh, don't hoard the toilet paper. And we'll see you guys on Monday. Take care. Cool. Thank you, Sean.